Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Good Lord, how bright and goodly shines the moon. I say it is the moon. I know it is the moon. Why, then you lie, it is the blessed sun. Then God be blessed, it is the blessed sun. But sun it is not when you say it is not. And moon changes even as your mind. What you will have it named, even that it is. And so it shall be so for Catherine. Hello and welcome to The Play's The Thing. This is Act 4 of The Taming of the Shrew, and you just heard Elizabeth Taylor playing the role of Kate and Richard Burton, her on-again, off-again husband in real life, playing the role of Petruchio. My name is Tim McIntosh. Nora Ankrum. And Matt Bianco. We're so glad that you joined us for Act 4, after the wedding feast and hijinks. Um, in Act Three, we have now joined our leading characters, newly married, on their trip back to Padua, where Petruchio's manor is, and that's where this scene opens. You guys, um, our heroes are now married, though it does not mean that they have achieved any form of bliss. It actually seems to be the opposite. In last episode, we talked about, um. You know, you two have these kind of different views of this play's palatability for modern audiences. And Nora kind of warned us, like, Act 4 and Act 5 is when it starts to get really thorny. And Nora, you were right. You were 100% right. This is a tough... This is a, <laughs> Matt just waved me off on camera. It's a tough act. It's a yeah. really tough act. It's um, because I believe in love and Nora doesn't. <laughs> Um, all right all right hey but before we i i'm just curious before we launch into the show nora you launched a show um at the theater where you work last friday we did can you tell us how opening night went how did the weekend go 
Yeah, uh, it was it was great actually. Um, we had we had pretty good turnout. Um, we had one matinee for the whole run. We only have one matinee just because typically matinees don't sell very well. And uh, is it a know, Sunday afternoon matinee? Sunday afternoon matinee. Yeah, yeah everybody's sleepy and tired, and you yeah. know they're attentive, but it's not as much fun. So our only matinee was last weekend, and we ended up um, selling almost as many tickets for that as we did for opening night, which was kind of strange. Um, and we're in a Can brand new location. And, um, I, I think I, it, it might be the, the particular people that we have involved. They have, mm. um, you know, maybe they recruited particularly for that performance. Uh, yeah. but anyway, it was, it was a great house. They were nice and loud and responsive. It's comedy. So, you know, you always want that. Uh, it's a really intimate setting. So it's a lot of fun. Have you gotten any reviews yet? Uh, we don't get a lot of reviews around here yeah. in this area, but, yeah. uh, but we have, oh, I'm, I'm actually watching our PayPal sales right now. Um, oh, because you I are. may, I may have to cut them off for tonight. Yeah. We Ooh, may be. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. So wonderful. I think, I think some words gotten around. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Good for yeah. you. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Maybe next on your docket is Taming of the Shrew or maybe not. Maybe I mean, not. it is actually We're we're planning to do it next year. Are you really? Yeah, because, uh, yeah, because I'm teaching it next year. I said, okay, all right, is, we got to do this. <laughs> this is so exciting. And do you know yeah. what you'll be doing? What part of the production you'll play? I don't, I don't, okay. I produce, I produce all of our shows. So I'll be producing it, but beyond that, I'm not sure yet. Okay. Are you interested in at all in playing the role of Kate? You can be well, completely honest. Since I will definitely send this to the director. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good answer. Thank you. <laughs> I would think that your decision would weigh heavily upon like what kind of director you get. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, so think about that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you want to go to West Virginia and I, know, I feel like you might need a Patricio. Yeah. Ah, yes. <laughs> I can see that, which, which I'm not sure what that means, Matt, but I can actually see you playing Petruchio. What does that say Ooh. about you? I know, I know what it says. You think about me, <laughs> <laughs> but come on. I mean, can't you imagine like y y there's a, um, you can play the part of like, you can chest thump a little bit when you want to. And I think Petruchio's got, there's a lot of a chest. He's got chest thumping in him. A lot of it. I can see you playing that up. Okay, maybe. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim's directing. Okay, That's right. Good, direct. good. That would actually be good, a lot good. of fun. Um, <laughs> so we've arrived at Padua now after a very long and Verona. frosty journey. It's Verona. It is Verona. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said um, not Padua, Verona. When we've arrived at um, Petruchio's Manor, all of his men are waiting for him. And Petruchio and Kate arrive, and it's been a rough journey. And it doesn't seem like Kate has had any of the kind of like softening luxuries that might afford someone of her wealth and stature or of Petruchio's wealth and stature. They kind of stumble in from the cold. And it seems like Petruchio's, um, gosh, how would you say it? Um, he has begun a taming school. And that's basically what this act is about. This act is about Petruchio's 
taming school. I, I wonder if either of you'd be willing to describe what that taming school looks like. I can tell you what I think it looks like. <laughs> Nora, what do you think the taming school looks like? <laughs> well, uh, we get a report of what happened on the way there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think the taming began right away. I think it began before the wedding, but wasn't Kate sat on by a horse mm-hmm. and left for a bit? I think so. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah. So she was sat on by a horse. Um, she's starved. Mm-hmm. And she, she's got some food dangled in front of her and uh, taken away for various reasons. And then the same thing with her clothes, right? She's been given some clothes uh, to wear and then been told, oh, no, that's not right. So we're taking it all away. So uh, they're just denying the basic needs left and right. That's what it looks like to me. That's what it looks like on the surface. So, so her basic yeah. needs are being denied left and right. They get to... Uh, his manner and it doesn't change once they get to the manor. Um, this is something I'm actually confused by. Um, a, this great big meal is made for them and Petruchio kind of like overturns the meal. He claims it's burnt. Soon a tailor arrives with these new suits of clothes for everybody. He's like kind of raging against the tailor. He's tearing up the clothes. Nothing satisfies him. Matt, do you, I genuinely don't know, like, what is he doing now? Like this, part of this doesn't, part of this seems like the taming school for Kate, you know, like somehow withholding food from her is kind of like, she's learning who the real boss is. But I was a little bit confused on why is he tearing up the clothes? Do you have an opinion? Do you have an insight about why he's doing this? Um, well, he's doing it to tame her. I mean, that's the surface level thing, right? That's sure. what the text tells us. That's what he tells us in his in his soliloquy, right? His monologue, whatever. That uh, that this is this is the taming happening. Uh-huh. Um, but there's something that's said earlier by Grumio, where he says something along the lines of, uh, he was referring to the cold, but he says that master and mistress are being tamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's that. Um, I, They're being tamed by the elements. Is that how you took that? Uh, that's how he presents it. I yeah. think that, that the cold is taming them. The elements are taming them. Yeah. Um, but so you go back to the fallen horse scene, right? Like, okay. <laughs> according to Grumio, there's a horse fallen on the mistress and Petruchio's response is to go yell at Grumio for not taking care of the horse properly or picking a bad horse or something like that. Right. Rather than going to rescue her. Yeah. Um, and then, and then he starts beating Grumio and then she has to come and stop him. And I, uh, I wrote a little note in my margin where I suggested, or I, the thought came to me that, that he's being, crueler to Grumio in order to teach her in, in order for her to see for her to be able to like Grumio or or for her to be able to like show kindness to others mm. something that she apparently hasn't done with the people in in Padua right everybody hates her she hates them um there's no kindness in any direction to anybody from her so then he's first creating a place where she can show kindness to Grumio right um, then 
then we get to the meal and he overturns it all, like you guys said. And there I see it as, as he's, he, I think the thing he's trying to communicate to her is that she's so wonderful and that he loves her so much that none of these things are good enough for her. Hmm. Um, hmm. But I mean, I mean, one cannot deny that he's actually withholding like basic necessities from her, although new necessities for her. I mean, she has clothing, obviously. She's not running around in the nude. Um, and fasting is a normal activity, right, for people. So it's, it's, it's not literally starving her to death, but he is withholding food from her. He is withholding nicer clothes from her, things that have been promised to her. Um, but he's withholding it from her all under the guise that it's because none of it's good enough for her. Like he wanted this perfect meal and it's not, it's an imperfect meal. He mm. wanted this perfect hat and it's an imperfect hat. He wanted this perfect dress and it's an imperfect dress. And so all this stuff has to go. Um, he tells us that this is part of his taming. She tells us that, well, he tells, he tells, um, is it Hortensia, right? The, hey, go, he tells him privately, right? Hey, go pay the, go pay the tailor. Like this is yeah. like, right, right, this right. part yeah, of yeah. the guys, right? Yeah. This is part of the act. So go make sure he's taken care of. Um, but then he still gets to maintain the same position of that wasn't good enough for you or yeah. whatever. Right. And then, but then she interprets it or she says herself um, in, in scene three, act four, scene three, uh, like right up like a line 11 and following. Um, and that which spites me more than all these wants, he does it under name of perfect love. So I, when I read that line, like it made me real, it made me, I mean, I, I marked it out because it, she seems to be interpreting it as he's doing this. He's, he's either doing this out of love or he's doing this and he's pretending it's out of love. Whichever, mm. Right. Mm. So then I'm wondering yeah. how does Kate act that line out? Like what's her expression? What's her demeanor? Mm. What's her body language when she says those lines? Does she say it like, um, is she saying it like, is the tone of voice and the body language, something like, um, he's withholding all of these things from me mm. and he's claiming it, it's out of love or is it, he's withholding all these things from me and he's claiming it's for love. Like, is, yeah. is it, yeah. is she starting to wonder like, oh, is it love? Like, is he doing these things because he, because he actually genuinely loves me? Yeah. I think to, sorry, go ahead, please. Mm -mm, you. I was thinking about acting that that scene. Um, I think at this point, reading it, it makes more sense to me the first way. Um, he says it's under disgust. the name of perfect love. Great. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Perfect love. Um, but at this point in, in the play, I mean, we're into act four. She needs to be changing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. as, as a story goes, right? The character needs to be changing by this point. So that tells me as an actor that um, it should be something more like discovery or questioning at least right um or or even it, at, at the very least confusion right yeah um mm -hmm. mystification something like that so so are you okay i have a question about your perspective matt um are you taking him as sincere or not when he's saying that none of this is good enough for her <sighs> that's a good question okay <laughs> Because I, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's not, there's a lack of sincerity in the sense that it's planned, it's contrived. Because right? he, he, he says, go pay the tailor, right? Like that's yeah, he okay. knows. Like part of the plan is you have to go pay the tailor, so okay. I can, you know, I can present this. Image. Okay. Um, but I, 
I think another part of, I mean, the, the, the other side of it though, I, I still feel like it's sincere in that he really wants to communicate to her that, that he's going to care for her in a way that just regular things aren't going to be good, aren't good enough for her. So it's a plot, but it's a plot with good motives. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay. What do you think, Nora? Um, she thinks I'm crazy. Go ahead. <laughs> Nora. <laughs> I, I did not think of it that way. I, I did not think of it as sincere at all. Um, it does seem like chest thumping uh, at first. But I, again, I started this whole thing by saying I really want to believe that this that this can be good. Um, I saw it a little bit as holding up a mirror to her, um, especially oh, in the way that he's like, he's treating the servants. Um, this is, this is how you look. Does this look nice? Uh, I don't think yeah. this looks nice. Do you want people to see you this way? Um, and I, I see a little bit of that because there are these other servants that come in, right? He's got several um, Nathaniel, Peter, Curtis, and I see an exchange, just a quick one between Nathaniel and Peter that says, Peter, didst ever see the like? And Peter says, he kills her in her own humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's a little bit of that. Um, and that, of course, is the taming school, right? As you said, um, holding up a mirror to her. And then, and then maybe that explains the turn that we see with her at the end of the act a little bit more. I'm not sure. But it doesn't, it doesn't really paint him in a very good light still. Uh, it still paints him as the as the uh, teacher and her as the the s- disciple, the student. Yeah. Would um, um, in in that view then? So the like the way he treats Grumio, like beating Grumio and yelling at Grumio and stuff, is is a mirror to her the way she treated other people. Yeah, <laughs> Bianca. Right. I mean, that's Bianca, the first yeah. interaction we see with her and Bianca, and she and him too. Right. In their first interaction, she slaps him or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he says, if you slap me again, I'll cuff you. Right. 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 Is there, um, is, is the same thing happening with the food and the clothing and the sleeping? Uh, like, see, so he won't let her sleep at night either, right? I don't think we mentioned that, but. Right. Yeah. The, bed, the bed's not good enough. It's not made well enough or whatever, right? And there's, he's always yelling. I mean, he's, he's, he's interrupting her so she can't sleep. He's withholding food, sleep, and nice clothes. Um, and a, and a, and a hat, hat, hat. that's important too. Um, (laughs) and so like, is, 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 is that also a mirror? Like has, has, is there, do we have evidence that she withheld things from other people Mm. or, 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 or she saw like, like maybe like in the sense that the food's not good enough for her, neither were any of the prior suitors, any of the other men in the Mm. Ottawa, none of them were good enough for her. And then she's also withholding those things from Bianca by not getting married and Bianca can't get married. That's true. Is that kind of a mirror there too? I don't know. The mirror thing is fascinating. I love that because also it tells us how Shakespeare perhaps maybe viewed his own play, viewed plays, right? Because of what he says in Hamlet about, yeah, play holding, holding the mirror, the mirror up, to up to nature. Yeah, that's right. There, there are so many instances in Shakespeare, not just in that play, but this is what you're getting at, I think, Matt, where Shakespeare uses, he enacts something to show a recalcitrant or a stubborn or an, um, someone in error the problem associated with their behavior. Well, and we kind of started this by saying that about Christopher Sly, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, that's a, the more I think about it, Nora, the more I think like the idea of this mirror um, being held up to her is like this really powerful motif that can like really unlock a lot of the play, you know? It, it doesn't necessarily take us away from the question of whether or not this is a good thing for Petruchio to do. Like I, like, you know, the whole act, I was scoring right. the whole act. Right. So it's kind of a, there's this kind of interesting heuristic opportunity with yeah. the mirror. I'm going to show you, Kate, what it's like, you know, you're going to get to see what your behavior looks like, you know, kind of from the outside. So as a heuristic device, it's really interesting. The moral, like, objections associated with that heuristic device kind of still remain for me. They're still, I'm still like pretty uncomfortable with like all of the things that happen in this act with holding food and like tearing up all the clothes and exposing her to frost and all these sorts of things. Having a horse sit on her. Having a yeah. horse sit on her and like <laughs> rescuing the horse. Oh, of horses her. are not that heavy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause I think the problem with that is that he's putting himself in the position to be the one holding the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. he's saying, I am worthy to hold this mirror up to you. And, you know, and, and I don't know that that was a problem when Shakespeare was writing this. Um, but it's, you know, maybe more of a problem for us now is that we're saying, well, wait a minute, why aren't you holding the mirror to you too? Yeah. Or, yeah. or you know, why aren't we looking at each other or something? Nor you said la- late, la- go ahead, Matt, go, well, ahead. go for it. But in some sense, I, I'm, I guess what I, I wonder, because you know, we've, there's, there's been a couple of references to, to he's taming her, but she's taming him or he's being tamed at the same time. And I wonder if it's possible to hold the mirror up without like the mirror's two sided. You can't hold the mirror up somebody else without also holding up a mirror, holding a mirror up to yourself. I, that's how I would take it. I don't know if that's how it was intended, but that's, I would love to see it played that way. And I think you could even, even in this act, I really do. Um, because I wonder if there are, you know, this is a plan ahead of time with the tailor and the food and all of that. Um, but does he have moments of sincerity in there as well? You know, where he slips into, but I really do love her. I really do care for her. I really do want this to be a good marriage, a good Mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. If, if we think, if we think at the beginning that he really was just trying to find any old wife that would any old wife and thrive, but by the end of the play, he is in love with her. Then that mm-hmm. kind of has to be happening at least to some extent, right? That he is being tamed or he is being, he's mirroring right. himself too. Right. Nora, you mentioned that at the end of the last act that it's very clear that um, this play is about, Kate kind of transforming, but you sensed also, this is also a story or could be a story about Petruchio transforming. And my, my question for you, Matt, is do you see this as kind of like, does Petruchio need to change also? Uh, Yes. I think in, in one of two ways, uh, depending on how you, how you interpret him at the beginning, if, if it really is just a, like, I need to get this notch in my belt, right? Mm-hmm. I need a wife. And then, and then by having a wife, then I can start thriving, whatever. And, and it doesn't matter who she is and it doesn't matter if he really loves her or he just, he just needs that. Um, 
then I think his, I think he changes by, I mean, through this process, he changes into somebody who genuinely loves her and his, um, you know, what starts out as perhaps complete insincere, insincerity changes little by little to greater and greater sincerity, more, more frequent sincerity. Um, the other, the other possible, I guess, starting point maybe is that even when he said that he was just saying what the people around him wanted to hear. Mm. And then he actually was like, he was just a romantic at heart, always looking for some woman that he loved and then found her right away. Like love at first sight with, with Kate. I don't know if I've never heard of anybody interpreting that way at the beginning, but if you did, <laughs> even if you did, there would still be some growth that's required of him. Right. Because yeah. he's, he's, um, you know, he's, this this chest thumping like i'm just gonna say what the bros need to hear yeah um and you know without regard for what she hears even though she's standing right there and then and then become you know somebody who's she actually is more important to him than the bros and whatever i don't know but like i I noticed to, to the point you know to talking about in the presence of the bros and speaking for the bros and all that in this act and and really since they've been married do we see them alone other than maybe huh. one quick exchange? Um, I don't, I don't know that they're alone a whole lot. Huh. And it was pretty expressly made, um, you know, in that first, after their first meeting scene that we've decided, you know, in the presence of other people, she's going to keep up this act that she hates me and I'm going to keep up this. And, you know, he's, he's clearly putting on a thing and he says that he's putting on a, a front right in front mm-hmm. of other people, mm-hmm. maybe even including the servants in this act. Because I think maybe one exchange happens when it's just the two of them. Otherwise, I think they're always surrounded by people. How that's really, in, you can make a lot out of that, couldn't you? Like if you really wanted to play that this is a play acting, you know, like after the wedding, all of this is play acting and we never see them alone. And you really capitalize on this idea that this is all a charade that they're putting on for their friends and family. That's a really different sort of play. It's you would all... have to go, you'd have to go back to that initial scene where he says that uh-huh. to the people and she's standing there when he says it, uh-huh. she doesn't correct him. Right. Then the actress in that moment would have to Give some out her yellow audience, highlighter right? and like make wing, sure and yeah, 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 yeah. Some yeah. sort of indication, yeah, for yeah. sure. You guys, last act, I neglected to even bring up our secondary plot, which is the wooing of Bianca by Lucentio and these other characters. I, I want to turn to that now. So part of the complicated nature of this play makes recounting the plot for me really difficult. Everybody is in disguise with the exception of like Petruchio and Kate, Bianca and Baptista. Everybody else is, is operating under kind of two names. Um, so at the risk, I, I'm not going to risk confusing our readers. I really think that seeing a version of the play where you can see these double identities is really crucial to this play. It's crucial in all of the plays in which you have double identities, plays like Twelfth Night, As You Like It. But it's, it seems to me because there are so many doubled characters in this play, you need to see the play. Otherwise, just reading it could get, you could get lost really quickly. The long story short is Lucentio has set his sights on Bianca, the sister of Kate, and 
through a variety of ruses, has kind of become her teacher and has expressed to her his secret desire for her. And in this act, we find out he has been successful. He has successfully wooed Bianca. And Baptista, father of Bianca and Kate, is going to give his permission. But, you know, they need to do some business, and the business involves... Lucentio's father. So that's going to be a twist that we see uh, at the beginning of act five is the father's going to show up and amidst all these double identities is the wooing between Lucentio and Bianca actually going to culminate in a wedding. So that is something that we're going to need to address in act five. For now, I want to compare our two main couples, Lucentio and Bianca, and Kate and Petruchio. It seems to me like Shakespeare is too crafty of a writer to not be making some sort of a comparison contrast statement with between these two pairs. So my question, uh, first for you, Matt, and then Nora, I just want to hear what compare Lucentio and Bianca's means of wooing with Kate and Petruchio's means of wooing. <sighs> I don't know how to express this. I don't even know if it would make sense when I say it out loud. It's in my head, like floating around as an idea, but I can't, yeah. I can't get it out to words, but there's something false in their falseness and something true in his like Petruchio is putting on a display. Now going back to what you said, Nora, right? Like is Kate in on it? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Right. We don't know. Right. Um, for for the know. sake of the conversation, let's say, that's not emphasized in the production that we're imagining just okay, for the so sake of the conversation. Yeah. She's probably not in on it. I mean, we're, we'll assume, right. Just based on the way it's being produced. Um, so he's, there's a falseness to it. I mean, he's being false, right. He's putting on a display to whatever, communicate something to hold a mirror up to her or to, uh, to show that he cares more about her than anybody else does, which is why you won't even let her have these nice clothes because they're not nice enough. How, whatever the interpretation is, right? There's some, there's something that he's, there's some display that he's putting on, but the dis, the purpose of the display, um, like it's still him, and it's and it's like communicating something that's true through the falseness, right? Like either his his what will become or is becoming a true and genuine love, or or if it's the mere thing, then you know help her to bring her true self to come out right mm. rather than this hiding behind the anger and the hate whatever it is right there's mm. some this truth that's supposed to be coming out from it but in their falseness it's it's i don't know it just seems like a falseness to the falseness like like they're pretending to be other people they're lying and manipulating and it's it's not for the good of the whole community, right? It's not for the good of Bianca and the, the man, whichever man it is we're referring to. It's not for the good of Bianca and her father or Bianca and the family or Bianca and the whole community, right? Like like Kate and Petruchio love coming to love one another and care for one another ends up becoming a good for the whole community, mm. right? Because now, I mean, she's kinder and, and you know, there's a, a harmony reestablished there. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the purpose behind the relationship with Bianca, right? It's, I want a beautiful woman. Like when, when, um, when Hortensio forswears himself of Bianca, he says, kindness in women, not their beauteous looks. 
mm. shall win my love. And so I take my leave. And I mean, it's like he's <laughs> confessing right there, right? That the only reason I've been going after her is because she would be a nice, a sweet trophy to have mm-hmm. on my arm, right? Yeah. And and then and then he's realizing that she's not that. She there's no kindness to accompany that, right? And and then that's, the beauty's not enough. Um, now I don't think we actually have any evidence in the play up to this point that Bianca is anything other than just some sweet, kind little sister, um, apart from other people's reports. So even here, like there's this report that, you know, like, oh, look at her. She's she's off with she's off with um, Lucentio, except it's Cambia, right? Or whoever it is at that point, right, whatever his right. name is. Um, she's off with him. And and it's like she's cheating on us kind of a thing. And then they get mad and they forswear themselves of her. And then they start accusing her of not being a nice person. But is it really just like sour grapes? Like he won her, I didn't. So now yeah, she yeah. wasn't worth the winning. Right. Like I don't know that we know enough yet from the play up to this point to know whether she is a good or a bad person, a good or a kind or an unkind person. What do you think about the contrast between Lucentio and Bianca and Kate and Petruchio, Nora? So something you just said, Matt, um, made me think of it. Um, You said that, uh, you know, Hortensio was clearly going after the trophy, right? Um, But Petruchio is too. Right. He's it's a it's a contest. It's a it's a challenge from the bros from the beginning. Right. To, to conquer, to tame the shrew. And that's the that's the trophy. But um, I agree with you that the the sincerity, if if there is sincerity, it is certainly with Petruchio and certainly not uh, with with any of the others, I think. Um, maybe Lucentio, maybe, but certainly not with Hortensio or Grimio. Um yeah, and it, it's clearly a it's clearly a trophy situation for them. Uh, but again, it's it's um it's just as much objectifying to Bianca, I would think, mm. uh, and maybe even more so because at least the character qualities are are wit and uh, you know sharp tonguedness for Kate, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Rather than just just uh, physicality. Um, That's what ten things I hate about you gets right. It does. Yeah, it, it really does. Like the falseness of the falseness and the sincerity of the falseness. It, gets it does. That right. And then the, 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 the hyper objectification of Bianca and, and it's a different yes. kind of objectification. It, it does. And, and, and I wondered if that was kind of coloring my viewpoint of Bianca a little bit, that movie, uh, because I was seeing her as a little bit shallow and vapid and, uh, less than but again that could just be because we don't hear as much from her as we do from kate yeah Yeah. um and we don't see as much of the wooing uh from her perspective but she does kind of play with them a bit and that makes me not like her very much um like in a deceitful way how how i don't know i i don't know this is back in act three um Mm. where she's you know she's saying okay i'll have my lesson with you but you have to wait a minute okay Mm -hmm. now i'll come have my lesson with you and you know, oh, go tune your instrument some more. We need more time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it seems, and, and she says at one point, I don't know where it is, but she says, um, don't be angry that I've been kind to both of you or that I've been, I don't know, flirting with both of you. Um, so it comes across as a little bit flirtatious, a little yeah. bit, you know, everybody loves Bianca. Nobody likes Kate. But again, like, look at how she's being objectified. Is it any mm-hmm. wonder? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. At the conclusion of this act, there's an invitation that goes out 
from Baptista to Kate and Petruchio, you're invited to, you know, join us for this wedding. And so we know that the culmination of this play is going to be, as all comedies from Shakespeare are, a wedding scene. So I think what's interesting, um, we're kind of set up for one wedding has already taken place, that between Kate and Petruchio, but it does not appear as of yet to be a very successful match. Um, we're about to see another wedding take place, and we're really set up almost for kind of a double wedding if Kate and Petruchio are going to kind of find a positive way forward. It seems like it has to happen in this final act, and it needs to be in some way paired with the wedding between Bianca and Lucintio. So that's just what we can anticipate going forward. I want to conclude today with a little conversation about Kate's changing strategy in act five of scene four. So we heard at the top of the show, Petruchio is looking up at the sky and, you know, he's in its broad daylight and he remarks about, you know, oh, how goodly shines the moon. And Kate, you know, looks askance at him and, you know, makes a comment, it's the sun. and But then she is like, realizes what is going on. No, my job here, thinks Kate, is to just agree with Petruchio. This is part of the new strategy, isn't it? It's to kind of, I know that he's lying to me. He knows that I know that he's lying to me. And I need to kind of, play this out. So my question for you, Nora, is what is Kate hoping to gain by this within the parameters of the play? What is she hoping to gain by this? And are we to see this as a step in the right direction for Kate? So two questions, what is she hoping to achieve? And like, do we think this is part of like her development toward becoming a more fulsome, winsome, you know, good person. Yeah. Well, you could read it on the surface as this is what I have to do to get food Mm -hmm. and sleep and Mm -hmm. not have a horse sit on me again. Um, horse. horse. (laughs) I I just let it go. Right. Come on, just move on. (laughs) Beating a dead horse. (laughs) You know, he was actually beating her anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I, I think it has more to do with, um, well, the way I would want to play it is uh, I would want to play it. Like we're on the same side here Um, that she's, I, I think this is the, this is the climax of, of their relationship where she's understanding if we go along with, with, you know, what we've been kind of saying that um, this is the way forward for us. Uh, we're going to, we're going to be in agreement about these things. I don't think she has to actually agree. I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit too obvious, right? Like if I say it's the sun, it's the sun. If I say it's the moon, it's the moon, right? You know, I don't think she's actually brainwashed. I think it's a little right, bit too right. obvious for that. But I think a really important point is that Hortensio is with them. They're not alone. Mm. Right. And I think if you played it the right way, like Petruchio is like, if I say it's the sun, it's the sun. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and like kind of he's right over there. He's right there. And mm-hmm. I, I need mm-hmm. you here to fulfill this this thing I've said that I can do. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. He says, I say it is the the moon that shines so bright. Kate, I know it is the sun that shines so bright. You know, there's, there's so much room for the actress there to, to play with what that response means for her and for Hortensio. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's, and it's not as interesting to play it as, you know, now she's brainwashed now. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess being tamed means being brainwashed. Um, that's not, it's not interesting. Yeah. Um, so finding something else to do with it. Right. Yeah. It occurs to me that, I mean, I think one of the things that keeps coming up in this, well, let me, let me back up. It seems like we have a notion today in the 21st century that healthy relationships are uh, egalitarian in some way. There's like a real equality between the match, between the two. I wonder if 16th century, 17th century England would have said, well, there's another pattern for a healthy relationship. And that is kind of like teacher pupil. Mm. And so I'm going to make the case for that right now. Like I, I'm a little bit suspicious of it, but I'm going to make the case for it. That case goes something like this. Um, men were in that day and age, for the most part, they had not just more power, not just more wealth, but they had a lot more education. And I mean, I'm not saying any of this is like fair or unfair. I'm just observing the sociological facts of the matter. Um, And what's more, oftentimes the uh, marriage between an older man and a younger woman would have been much more smiled upon. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, like our criticisms about this play, I mean, I think they're legitimate criticisms, but I also think that maybe we're complaining because we're just sort of denying a pattern that could have existed in Elizabethan England that could have been a healthy pattern given the kind of historical circumstances of male and female at that time. What do you think? Plausible? Like that that kind of second view of um, that second pattern of what, what could make for a happy relationship, a happy married relationship is kind of like older male teacher, younger female pupil. Plausible? I I think enough to salvage the play. (laughs) I think in, uh, in that time period, yeah, there, there was a necessary dependency, right? Um, because women were not uh, afforded the same opportunities to, to be independent. Right. So, um, they weren't as educated they didn't have the means or the property or any, anything like that. And and I think that absolutely has to be part of how we read this and and for good or bad. I mean, you could certainly use it to, to criticize that part of society as well. And changing the play doesn't help you do that. Right. Right. You have to look at it through the lens to be able to do that first. I think though, if you're going to present it in any time period other than exactly when it was written, you have to make some sort of concessions that that, that that was, you know, part of the framework of the play. Right. 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 So I I guess it depends on the presentation. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't buy it, Tim. Really? You don't buy it? (laughs) No. I mean, I, like you don't buy that that pattern existed back then or that that is, well, just say what you mean. Why am I interrupting you? Um, no, give me possible things that I could have met, and then I'll tell you if I agree with any of them. 
I'll tell you if I assent to any of the possibilities about what I meant. Um, I think, I mean, I don't, I, the part that I do buy is that there's probably a pattern for a healthy relationship that they lived with that we don't live with that's yeah. different than ours. And that throws us, that confuses us because we don't know what that is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I buy the part of it where we're required to see Bianca and Kate as lesser, having lesser, lesser um, potential, uh, lesser, fewer resources. And then, and then, where the men have those things. And then we are um, asked to kind of interpret or understand the play by that um, only because there's so much, so much energy in the play put into us seeing how educated Kate and, and Bianca That's are. A great mm-hmm. point. And, yeah. and how much energy is put into the play by um, Baptista to make sure that they have land resources yeah. as part of their dowries, right? That, that, uh, is it Vincentio, right? That's Lou, uh, the, the father. The father, yep. Petruchio's yeah. father, yeah. Um, he has to come and confirm what Lucentio has said. Yes, she will have these things available to her if I die first, right? And then, and then, so there's all these resources that are being promised as part of the, agreement to marry to allow the daughters to marry so what that might be true more generally speaking of men and women in that time period but that seems to be being set aside for the case of these two girls these two ladies um Hmm. that who are educated and who are going to have resources available to them from their father first and then from their husbands um that that those don't seem to be the 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 issues i guess yeah yeah those that was great. That was really great. Within the kind of imagined world that Shakespeare sets up, all the things that you said are true. Kate and Bianca are very well educated. They're wealthy. Like they have things afforded to them that don't really fit the kind of pattern that I was describing that might have been more prominent in Shakespeare's day. That's a great reply. But maybe that was purposeful that he that he purposely uh, wrote them in opposition to or or as exceptions i do think that like he might be leveling it yeah for Mm -hmm. this story Mm -hmm. yeah um and you know know, at the end well i guess that's jumping but no one no one sees um the the inequality of the relationship as as good right Mm. like no one actually holds it up as like oh man that that's great this is the way it should be yeah i mean i don't i don't think anybody even the other characters right yeah Um, i agree i think you're right well, you know, what's interesting right. is that if we jump all the way back to that scene where the tutors go to Kate and Bianca for the very first time, and then the musical tutor comes back with the, with the <laughs> instrument broke the lute, I think. The broken, lute, yeah. Broken over his head. Yeah. Um, and it never tells, he just tells us that it's because she's a true, right? She did this to me. She's, she rejected me. And, but, but it never tells us what like actually happened there other than just his report. And, uh, and so I, I've always, I've wondered for a while now, if, if Kate immediately recognizes that this guy's a false tutor, that he's a fake, he's a fraud, and she's ah. he's bashing it over his head mm. because she's rejecting him as a tutor. And or also um, she knows that he's really there for Bianca, not for her. Mm. 
she, he's really there to woo Bianca and not to teach her or anybody anything. And so she rejects him on the grounds of that as well. Um, but it doesn't tell us because it's, we only get his report when he comes back. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I want to, if I can go back, um, we, we talked about it and we walked away from it for a second, but if I, can I just share what I think about the, what I think about her, her tactic, like how she's going along to go. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, man. I neglected that. Um, yeah, we just got, we just got thinking about other stuff, but, um, I don't, you know, that, that, that's a part of it. That's always kind of curious to me. Like, is it, is she just saying like, okay, I have to, this is the way to get along. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, not as a brainwashing thing. Like you said, Nora, not, you didn't say it was a brainwashing. You said it's not a brainwashing thing. I agree. It's also, I also agree. It's not a brainwashing thing. (laughs) Um, but that, that like, it's like, we're not going to get anywhere together if we're always at discord. Right. So let's, let's, if this is how I introduce harmony to the relationship, then I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do because that's going to get us moving forward in the right direction. Because he does complain multiple times, at least twice, very clearly, um, about her crossing him. Mm. And she's always going against what he says. Um, and, and then, and then, as you pointed out, Nora, that Hortensio is there. Um, but also, I wonder how important it is that Hortensio kind of nudges her in that direction, like just say mm. what he wants to hear, right? Um, but then when you brought up, I didn't think about it when you brought it up, but when you brought up the mirror thing, I thought about it here because I was wondering, is this a more of the mirror? And then what would the mirror be if this is more of a mirror? And if, if we go back to the beginning, when we first get introduced to her, every time she's always equivocating with people's words, right? Every time somebody says something, yeah. she takes that same word, applies a different meaning to it, and then kind of breaks that person with it right Mm. um uh so you know somebody says something about a stool and then she flips it and you know makes it something a a derogatory thing right um or sometimes it is derogatory but it's aimed towards her and then she kind of reverses it and aims it back and so nothing ever is what it seems to be Mm. so is he doing that now but in a very literal sense right like that's the moon nope that's the sun that's a maiden Mm. nope that's an old man and and he's he's like kind of showing her what it's like to be so disagreeable, but now with something that's even more blatant and obvious, right? And then huh. and then helping her to to become yeah. agreeable there so that she can be agreeable in and actually have genuine conversations. Yeah. Beyond that, right? I don't I don't know. That's I was just wondering that after you That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, kind of showing her like, see, it's it's not fun. This yeah. is this is not fun to happen. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a real possibility. I that's I had not thought about that at all, Matt. That's yeah. a real possibility. Thank you, Nora, for inspiring me. <laughs> you're, my, you're welcome. You're my interpretive muse. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Next week, you guys, our last act. We will um, also record a question and answer episode after that. But I just want to look forward a little bit. Um, of course, the culmination of the play, as I mentioned, is going to be this wedding. And I think it's going to be in some way kind of like a symbolic double wedding. It seems like the direction that we're heading in. Not only are Lucentio and Bianca going to get married, um, but we're also going to see some sort of agreement to kind of end the fighting between Kate and Petruchio. 
So that's what we have to look forward to. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. We are always uh, eager to hear from you on the Facebook page, the Close Reads Discussion Facebook page. Please join us there. And today we're going to leave you with a little bit of a movie that we've mentioned a few times on the podcast, 10 Things I Hate About You. Until next week, Act 5. Thanks for joining us. See you then and happy reading. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.